today and next Sunday, I want to talk about honoring God. Honoring God. Some of the ways the Bible uh, tells us to do that. And, and I'm, I'm going to begin with the toughest one for a lot of us. And that's honoring God with our money. Honoring God with our financial resources. And, and I'm just going to start there because if you can understand that one, then the rest of them come a whole lot, lot easier. So we're going to start there. Billy Graham, the, you know, the, the, to me, is an example of a man who honored God with his life. Not just because he was a great preacher, great evangelist, preached to more people than anyone in human history, but it's because of the way he lived, the way he carried himself. And as most of you know, he, he passed away, went, went home to heaven this past February, and recently his, uh, his will was made public. You can go online and read it if you want to. It's 16 pages long. And some have referred to his will as his last sermon because in it he makes a lot of personal comments. Uh, he, he talks to his family, tells them how much he loves them and that he's proud of them. He also challenges them to maintain the faith, keep the faith, and defend the faith, particularly the, the, the atonement of, of Jesus Christ as the only way to be forgiven. He, uh, he talked about Jesus in his will, described being saved as a teenager and then living for the Lord all the years that followed. Um, and, and he mentions how he's, he's confident that when they're reading that will, that, he, that he's in heaven, he's in glory, and everything is, is okay. He even talked to the public. He talked to you and me. Because he knew there would be a lot of people curious to read his will because of who he was. And so he made certain to say some things in, in his will to those who were just reading it simply out of curiosity. And, and one of the things he said, and this is a quote from, from Billy Graham's will, he said is, I, I urge all of you, I urge all who shall read this document, everybody reading my will, to read and study the Scripture. The same curiosity you have to read my will, <laughs> you need that kind of curiosity to read the Word of God. Read it daily and to trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. He also in his will talked about money and uh, described how, and this, this is a sentence in his will, he said, from the very beginning of our marriage, we, referring to himself and his wife Ruth, we determined that we would be tithers. And they did that. It goes on to describe how God blessed them over the years because of that early decision years ago. And... Uh, in his will, he divided his estate among his children, but he also gave a tithe of his estate to God's work. Did it in living, while he was living, did it when he died. And, 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 and the, the truth is, he, his life and the decisions he made, honored God while he was living, and honored God in how he died. And his will honored God. I think that's what disciples want to do. I think people who love Jesus, follow Jesus, want to honor Jesus. We want to honor him in our life. We want to honor him in our death. It just makes sense to me. Why, why would you not want to honor Jesus if you love him? Why would you not want to honor Jesus if you follow him and live for him? The scripture says we're to honor him in everything that we do. And so today and next Sunday, I want to look at some ways the, the Bible gives us to honor God in our lives. And as I mentioned this morning, uh, this one is money. And my goal, my goal is to help you understand how that, that, that if you learn how to honor God with your life, 
Honoring him with your money is just a natural outgrowth of that. They just go hand in hand. They really do. And there's a good example in the Old Testament of a man who honored God. We know him as Abraham. I want to look at a story in his life. So if you have your Bible, open it to the book of Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. This is early in his, uh, his pilgrimage in, in, in the promised land. And God, God has not yet changed his name to Abraham. He's still known by the shorter name Abram. And so you'll read Abram in this story. And the, the background is several kings and their small kingdoms, if you will, were, were engaged in war with each other. Here's one group of kings in their country, and here's another group of kings in their countries, and they're, they're fighting each other. They're, 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 they're at war. And one group wins and conquers the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is before uh, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire. That happens later in Genesis. So here's these cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're conquered. And the, the conquering kings, the conquering armies, take most of the people in those cities and carry them away as slaves, as property. And, and they take with them their possessions. Because in ancient times, the custom, the tradition was if one army defeats another army, hey, everything belonging to those you defeated is now yours. You take it as as, as the spoils of war, and so they would carry all the possessions away and often all the people away, and they would make them slaves. And that's what happened in this story. It just so happened that living in Sodom was Abram or Abraham's nephew, Lot. Lot and his family and all they own are carried away by this conquering army. Abraham finds out about it, and he takes his trained men, his, his army, if you will, and he goes into battle against those conquering kings, and he wins. He defeats them. And he brings all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding areas and all of their possessions back to their homeland, and he frees them. doesn't keep them as slaves. doesn't keep their possessions. He brings them back, and he frees them. That's where we pick up the story we're going to read that I want to talk about this morning. And I've read this story over the years. I have never preached these verses that I'm going to read now and talk about. God's given me some things I want to share with you. The book of Genesis chapter 14, the story picks up in verse 18. Verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now, so Abraham and, and his, his army and all these people that he's freed are coming back. And Mel Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Um, Salem is an ancient name for Jerusalem. This is centuries before King David would later make Jerusalem the capital of Israel. Salem, ancient Jerusalem, small place. Melchizedek is their king. He's also a high priest of God. So he's a, he's a priestly king, if you will. And he comes out and he meets Abraham. And uh, the Bible says in verse 19, this king, this priest named Melchizedek, blessed him, blessed Abraham. And in Scripture, the one who does the blessing is considered the greater. So here's this man, Melchizedek. He's a king and he's a, he's a priest of God. 
See, the priesthood did not begin with Levi. That was a, a special priesthood for the Jewish nation. God had people who loved him and worshipped him and served him and people who were priests unto him before Israel was created as a nation. And here's one example. In fact, the book of Hebrews talks about Melchizedek and how his priesthood is greater than that of Levi and the Levites. His name means uh, righteous king. He's a good man. He's a good king. He's a devout man. And, 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 and Scripture honors him and God honors him. And so here at Melchizedek, he, he, he announces a blessing on Abraham. And then he praises God. He praises God and says to Abraham in the middle of verse 20, God was the one who delivered you. God was the one who delivered your enemies into your hands. The reason you won this war is not because you have a great army, but because of God. And notice at the end of verse 20 then what Abraham did. What did he do? Hmm? He gave a tithe. 10% to the priest of God, to Melchizedek, as an act of worship. Now that's the story. Here's the question. Why did Abraham give this tithe, this 10%, to the priest of God? Why did he do it? What do you think? The answer is, is, is alluded to in verse 20. When Melchizedek, the king and priest, said to Abraham, Abraham, the true source of your winning this battle is whom? God. Without him, you wouldn't have done it. See, Abraham understood that God was on his side, that God gave him that victory. Abraham understood that all the blessings of his life were because of God, none his own doing. And so he gave a tithe as a way of saying, I, I know that. I recognize that all these blessings, this, this military victory is, is from God. It's because of God. I recognize that. And I, I'm giving God the honor that he is due. He's the source of my blessings. I'm giving him the recognition that he rightfully deserves because he's the one that's given me all of this. Look with me on the screen at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. The Bible says, you shall remember the Lord. That's what Abraham's doing here. He's, he's not forgetting God in the midst of this great victory, this great blessing. And, and, and the scripture says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he. Notice this. It is he who is giving you power to make what? Now, we use our intellect, our skills, our physical stamina and energy, relationships, opportunities, all of that to make money to make a living right and you go to school and you go to seminars and you read and you learn and you study to sharpen your mind but let me ask you did you create your brain you use it you can sharpen it but did you create it we're born with certain talents and inclinations and abilities that we can enhance and develop and utilize over the years but did you create those See, the scripture says that everything we have in life ultimately is God is the true source of it. 
We, we can be productive or we can be lazy. But the truth is we have never created anything out of nothing. Only God has done that. Everything we create, we, we begin with something that's already there. We begin with something that God has created. And so scripture says, remember him, honor him, don't neglect him, don't ignore him, don't forget him, because he's the one who's given you the power to do everything you do in life. And so what we do with our money either honors God or dishonors him. What we do with our money says either we consider him to be the true source of our blessings or we don't. What we do with our money either recognizes God in his rightful place in, in our lives or denies him in his rightful place in our lives. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, Honor the Lord from your what, church? What's the next word? From your what? From your wealth. And then the Bible continues in that verse saying, And from the first of all you produce. And in the Bible, the tithe is the first fruits. It's the first. It's not the last. It's the first. It's not the leftovers. It's the first. Honor God with the first, not the last. But notice there's more to it. Not just with the first, not just, that's what the tithe is, not just the 10%, not just the first, but honor God with your wealth. What you and I do with the 90% also matters. We are to honor God with every resource we have. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Honor God. With our money. Notice, notice it says all your produce, what you produce, what you create, what you what you accomplish, what you earn, what you achieve, all of it, not some of it. Don't, don't, don't compartmentalize your life and say, God, you get this, but not that. God, I'm going to honor you over here, but not over there. With everything, with all. Honor him. Honor him. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that Abraham did this and uh, it was just a, a natural thing for him because Abraham was committed to honoring God with his life, not just his money. Even in this one story, we see it in so many ways. Otherwise, Abraham honored God. Think about this for a minute. Abraham honored God by being willing to risk his life to go into battle to rescue Lot and Lot's family as well as all the other inhabitants of those cities that had been conquered by these invading kings. He put his life on the line. For the sake of others, for the welfare and benefit of others, he said, I'm going to risk, I'm, I'm going to put myself out there. His life was about honoring God. And, and if it meant risk, he took risk for the sake of others. In this story, Abram, Abraham honored God, listen, by doing what he knew was right. He saw injustice. He saw people being abused. People being robbed. 
And he said, I can't just sit back and worry about my own safety, my own security. I'm going to do something about that. He did what was right to help others. He was honoring God. Something you haven't seen in the story yet. He honored God because he refused to enrich himself with taking advantage of others. Remember I said that when these kings conquered Sodom and Gomorrah and they carried the people away as slaves and all of their possessions, that was pretty customary in ancient cultures. It's still customary in some places today, spoils of war. So according to their culture, Abraham, once he went and, and defeated the conquering kings and armies, had the right to claim all those people, all those possessions as his own. And he would have been just like everybody else in the ancient world. But the verses that follow, the ones we read, 18, 19, and 20, the next few verses, Abraham refused to do that. He didn't keep one thing for himself. Because they said, I'm not going to enrich myself by abusing others. Now, what does this tell us about Abraham? It, it wasn't just his money. It's, it's this, here's this man, this man of faith, not perfect, not perfect by any measure. He made mistakes, but his life was about honoring God. And in just this one story, we see so many examples, so many layers of how he and what he did said, God matters. Doing what God wants of me matters. And because of that, Honoring God with his money was no big deal because he'd honored God with things that were a lot riskier. You know, you know, more than that, I mean, his life. I mean, uh, money's not, you know, that's, that's easy if you, put, if you put your life out there on the line. It's just part of who he was. Following God, honoring him, honoring him, honoring him with, uh, with everything. Now let me tell you a little bit more about, uh, about Abraham. You jump ahead many, many years. Abraham, is, he's died. His son Isaac takes his place as the head of the Jewish clan that will eventually become the nation of Israel. So Isaac, Abraham's son, is now the second patriarch of the Jewish family, if you will. <clears throat> And so God comes to Isaac and they have a conversation. God had promised his father Abraham that he would bless him with many descendants and make a great nation of him. He, came, he comes to Isaac and he says, Isaac, I'm going to keep my word to your father and I'm going to bless your descendants, that lineage of Abraham, that lineage from you, Isaac, and I'm going to keep my word and make a great nation. And by the way, every time you hear anything about the nation of Israel, that's a reminder that God did what he said. And then at the end of that conversation, it's found in, in the book of Genesis chapter 26, God says something about Isaac's father, Abraham, the man we've been reading about. Notice what God says about him. Abraham did what? He obeyed me. He kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, if God were, was to write a sentence about you, describing you, what would it say? 
take a moment in your own mind, kind of penciled on paper. What would God write in a sentence about me or about, what would he write about you? Well, this is what God wrote about Abraham in the book of Genesis. What God is saying is, Abraham did what I asked him to do. That simple. Abraham obeyed me. Do you remember Jesus? Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then not do what I say? When God is describing Abraham, he uses those words basically saying, Abraham did what I asked him to do. He honored me by obeying me. How many of you parents really like it when your kids do what you ask them to do? <laughs> and you don't have to tell them 20 times. Huh? How many of you parents or grandparents ever feel dishonored when you're out in public and you ask your child to do something they just give you that look? Abraham honored God. by not giving him that look. Instead, he honored him by doing what God asked of him. You see, disobedience never honors God. How many of you have ever heard someone say something like this, okay? Just, you know, how many of you ever heard anyone say, maybe you've said it, I don't know. You, you've read it, you've heard it. You've heard someone say something like, you know, I, I know the Bible talks about tithing, but that's all the Old Testament. That's, you know, that's the Mosaic law. It's for the book of Leviticus. It's for the people of Israel. That doesn't pertain to us. It's just the Mosaic law. It doesn't have anything in Israel. It doesn't have anything to do with us because we're people of grace. And, you know, we can give if we want to, but that has nothing to do with us. Anybody ever heard anything like that? Can I get a nod or something? Huh? Some of you are afraid to admit you've said it. <laughs> I want you to notice something, okay? Let me, t let me do a little teaching on it. I want you to notice something. This tithe that Abraham gave preceded Moses and the Mosaic law for the nation of Israel by over 600 years. did not originate with the Levitical law, the Mosaic law, the law for the nation of Israel. Preceded, came before that by over six centuries. See, the Mosaic law was God taking some very specific things for the nation of Israel. Some of those preexisted the nation of Israel. Others were new and for the nation of Israel. But some of the things in the Mosaic Law preexisted the Mosaic Law, meaning they are eternal principles. So it would make sense they would be included in the Mosaic Law, wouldn't it? From the very beginning. God's always had expectations. Let me ask you, when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, did God have any expectations of Adam and Eve? Did God give them any instructions, any commandments, any responsibilities? God put them in there and said, what, take care of this garden, tend it. Hey, you can, you've got all this to enjoy, name the animals. You can eat all this stuff. Can't eat that. Do this. Don't do that. God has all, there's always been expectations. There are expectations in every, every relationship. Is that not, not true? 
I mean, this 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 tithe from Abraham to the priest of God, Melchizedek, it may it's it's the first time the word tithe is used in Scripture, but it's not the first time giving and generosity and offerings are mentioned. The very the very beginning of Genesis chapter four, Adam and Eve's first children, Cain and Abel. Look in Genesis 4, verse 3. came about in the course of time that Cain, one of their sons, brought an offering, right? Brought an offering from the fruit of the ground because he was a farmer. He grew stuff, and so he brought an offering to God of that. Look at verses 4 and 5. Abel, his brother, he also brought an offering. His was from the firstlings of the flock. Why? Because he was, you know, he didn't didn't grow crops. He took care of, I don't know, cattle, sheep. I don't know what he grew, but he 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 had livestock of some kind. And he brought his offering from that. Now notice, God had regard, looked with favor on Abel's offering, but not on Cain's offering. Now I don't have time to unpack all of that. And some people will say, hey, you're talking about an offering. But look very carefully, look very carefully at Abel's offering in verse 4. What did he bring? Huh? What is it? Firstlings? What is the tithe? It's the first fruit. It's the first. First, not the leftover, not the last. It's the first. Abel brought the first. Cain did not. It's, it's this principle that, 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 that in life, not just with the Mosaic Law, but in life, part of our worship and honoring of God is we honor Him with our whole lives. And, and, and guys, you can't honor God with your whole life and it not say anything about what you do or don't do with your money. Because that's a big part of life. So it's always been there. Now, I've got some good news for you. In in the Bible, hey, (laughs) there's no tithing police. You notice that? In, in In the Bible, there's no... No tithe, IRS. You know why? Not needed. You know why? Because God already knows what you're doing and not doing. If you're not a person who normally tithes, I want to encourage and challenge you to try it one time this month. Just one time this month. Try to tithe on a week's income. Just one time. If you've never done it or you haven't done it in a long time, just try it one time to see what it's like. What you, what you have in the Bible is not, is not a tithing police or IRS. What you do have in the Bible is, is God says, those who do what I say and obey me and honor me this way, like with Abel, he says he... he looks on them with regard. He favors them. He blesses them. And that can take a lot of different forms. But he favors them. You see, out of love, choosing because we love someone to do things is natural. How, How many of you guys are, guys, how many of you husbands love your wives? Raise your hand. Ladies, how many of you wives love your husband? Guys, if she didn't put her hand up, poker. Parents, 
How many of you parents love your children? How many of you grandparents love your grandkids? Now let me ask you, do you as a husband or wife have any responsibilities toward your mate? Hmm? Do you as a husband, are, are there any expectations on you as a wife? Are there any expectations on you in your marriage? Are there any responsibilities, any duties, any things that, that's expected? Anything? You betcha. But because we love that person, what happens? We choose to do it. See, God's always said, hey, if you want to be in a relationship, here's things that we do and we don't do. Now, you're free to choose it, but if you love, you make this choice. How many of you have ever seen an abusive husband? You know any abusive men? And we would say about somebody who abuses their, their spouse, they don't love them, right? We, 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 they, they may say, I love you, but if they're beating them, we say, no, you don't. Right? Parents, we love our children and we have responsibilities. Do I, do I, did I have duties toward my kids? Yeah. God gives me responsibilities. The law gave me responsibilities, right? There's duties. There's expectations. There's commandments. It's there. But because I love my kids, guess what? I do it. Where did, where did we get this idea that because there's love, there's no expectations? Because there's love, there's no responsibility. Because there's love and grace, there's no duties. Where'd that come from? Have you ever noticed the only, the only place in life we talk like that is when it comes to God? We don't do it because it's duty. We don't do it because it's a commandment. We do it because we, we love God. How? With all our, what, what, what does the scripture say? Both in Deuteronomy and the Old Testament, and then Jesus quoted it more than once in the Gospels. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love says, hey, I'm glad to do this stuff because that's what love does. Love says, I'm going to honor my wife, and I'm going to honor my husband, and I'm going to honor my parents, and I'm going to honor my children by doing these things that, that I know are expected and are good and are right. Works the same way in our relationship with God. Do you know how Jesus loved? you and honored you? Hmm? John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus speaking about his upcoming crucifixion. He said, for this reason the Father loves me because I laid down my life. He said, I, I'm going to climb on that cross. I'm going to die for you. Does it out of love? Look at the next verse, verse 18, he said, no one's taking it, taking my life from me. I lay it down. Notice this. I lay it down of my own initiative. Jesus says, this is my choice. I'm choosing to do this. But notice the very end of the verse. This commandment I received from my Father. In other words, it was the will of the Father that Jesus died. And if it's the will of God, that means it's the commandment of God. It's the expectation of the Father, Right? But Jesus says, I know that, but I'm choosing to do this because I care about you. 
when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of his arrest, and he was on his knees praying, and, and the sweat falling to the ground, just you know, big puddles of sweat. He, he said, not. He said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to die. Then he continued his prayer by saying, not what I will, but your will be done. Father, I know this is your will, and I am choosing, even though it's causing me to sacrifice. I'm choosing, even though it's not comfortable. I'm choosing, I'm choosing, I'm choosing out of love do this. Do you think there weren't some days when my little girl had one of those little school concerts or gymnastics things or Stephen had one of those baseball games that went on and on and on. Do you think there weren't some times they had those I wanted to stay home? Huh? You parents have to. You're lying if you say you always wanted to go. You were just hoping it got rained out. <laughs> but what did you do? Love, love, honor, love, honor. One. Right? Do you get the point I'm making, guys? Do you understand this biblical principle? Jesus voluntarily sacrificed out of love for us in obedience to the, to the will, the commandment of the Father, and it was for our sake. In just a moment, when we observe this uh, Lord's Supper, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the fact that Jesus knew what the, 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 the triune God had willed what the Father's commandment was, and he as the Son, the Son of God, Holy God, Jesus as the Son, chose out of love to obey and do it for us. And as you hold that cup with the bread and the, the juice at the, as we prepare for the supper, I want you to think about what are you doing? How are you honoring How are you honoring him with your money? It all goes together. Let's pray.